Amen. sacred portion this morning, and uh, we're going to consider the supernatural dimension that's involved in this. This is not just, you know, following orders and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, when you do what God would have you to do, there's always going to be that supernatural element. That's why he has us do what he has us do. Amen. It's a supernatural element when you say no to sin supernatural element when you forgive one another. and Of course, in this dimension here is also a supernatural element when you release finances into the kingdom of God. And so that's what we want to consider, amen, this supernatural element. We want to look at it, obviously, positively, but we also want to look at it negatively as well. So our text this morning is Genesis 2, 16 and 17. I need some hands this morning. Nick, you can get that. I need Mark 7, 21 through 23. Mark, pretty. Mark 7, 21 to 23. I need Matthew 6, 21 and 24. Um, Tyson? It was Matthew 6, 21 and 24. Luke 12, 15, Ken. Matthew 6, 20 and 21, uh, Santina. Lisa, Luke 12, 21. And then I'm going to get Deuteronomy 14, 23 from the Message Translation. And we'll just hold on right there. Okay. So let's go ahead and get our text this morning looking at the sacred portion, supernatural dimension. Okay, so I want to consider, first of all, the spirit of greed, because it is a spirit, amen. Understanding this morning that the purpose of tithing is not fundraising, amen. It's actually primarily for our hearts, right? You know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, and so on. So it's, it's really a hard issue. And so as you're living for God, there are spiritual forces that want to control your heart. Um, sin could be one of them, right? We talked earlier just, you know, how sin can be a spiritual force that controls our hearts, controls our lives. Well, so is righteousness. And so is making right decisions and so on and so forth. There are spiritual forces. One of them is generosity and liberality is a spiritual force that wants to control your heart. But so is greed and covetousness. And the spirit of mammon. The Bible calls it the spirit of mammon. It, it's just that grasping, holding, this belongs to me kind of thing. You know, uh, you know I, I control my prosperity, my destiny, my future, and so on. And so there's spirits, amen, that seek to control our hearts. Mark 7, 21 and 20 to 23. Twenty-three, yeah. 
Okay, so because of our sin nature, these things are trying to take control of our hearts. Uh, uh, it's, it's in there, right? Uh, covetousness was one of them, but you know, you got everything else. Pride, blasphemy, all kinds of things. Fornication, adulteries are coming from within. And so these are things that are trying to control who we are, how we live, what dictates our decisions. Matthew 6, 21 and 24. That's 21 and 24? Yeah. You said and there, you're not through, right? I'm sorry? So you yeah. said and, I'm thinking 6, 21 and 24, but not 21 through 24. Yeah, 6, 21 and 24. Yeah. Is, is, is that where your treasure is, your heart will be also? Did we read that? Um, no, I did read it somewhere. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> See, either you're wrong or I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm almost never wrong, but... <laughs> I don't know how to say wrong. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, you cannot serve God and mammon. So he lays this out in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 6. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about what's involved in serving God. And... He's aiming at the heart, amen. Obviously, the Jews had the external down, but it was always the issues of the heart that he was always trying to get at, amen. And so money is a heart issue. See, in this sermon, he's aiming at the heart, and a big portion of it, he talks about money. He even finishes up by saying, you know, don't worry about what you eat, what you put on, what you wear, and so on and so forth. And he talks about that again. So he talks about this subject a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount because money really is a hard issue. You cannot serve God and mammon. So mammon is, was actually a Syrian god. You know what I mean? Like, like you would set him up. He might look like something like this. You know what I'm saying? And you would worship him and bow down. And, and you know, maybe like the Chinese restaurants, you would put a, an egg roll or something. I don't know. I'm not too sure how that works. But whatever, however that works, you know what I'm saying? This is what you're talking about. You're, you're talking about worshiping what this represents, the God of money. And so what they're really thinking is that this God, Mammon, will, or Mammon, I think is how it's really pronounced, will, but I'm not going to do it that way. Uh, it, it will, it, he will prosper you. He will bring security. He will bring comfort to your life. And so it has the power to, if you will, crowd out God, right? You'll hate the one and not love the other. Or you'll, you'll love the one and you'll despise the other. Amen. So in other words, you're going you're gonna to worship money. If you worship money, you're going to find no value in God. If money is your God, you're going to find no value in him. So you're, you're pulling away from God and you're going toward this spirit called Money, amen. So, and, and Jesus makes it pretty clear, money demands service, amen. Literally, you have to worship it. And so it has that ability to do the very thing we're talking about. This is why sometimes people work so much, they have no time for God. 
They work so much because is the issue is this thing that I'm talking about right here. And they find no time for God. It has the power to rule. It has the power to dominate our decisions. We make decisions determined by money versus determined by liberality, determined by generosity, determined by compassion or care or kindness. It's like, why wouldn't you? Because money made that decision. But why wouldn't? Because money made that decision. Sometimes even when offerings are taken for this or that, it's like, what's making the decision? Is it the, the need, the necessity, God pulling upon the heart? Or is it money? It's, it's what we're talking about. There's... there's um, it's, it's a force, amen. It's a spiritual force trying to control our hearts. And obviously what it's ultimately trying to do is put a wedge between us and God. And that's what Jesus is laying out. He's, you'll love the one, despise the other. Hate the one, despise the other, right? In other words, you're going to be drawn to one or the other. There's no middle ground. It's not like, well, money, God, money, God. If you just balance the scale, it'll be, no, that's not yin, that's yin and yang, false religion. There's <laughs> no balance, it's God. Money. <laughs> Amen. Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. This is a funny scripture because Jesus is preaching. The Son of God is preaching a sermon, and in the middle of his sermon, somebody yells out, Hey! <laughs> Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's taking it all. It's like this guy is so consumed that he can't even listen to the sermon. <laughs> Amen. He just he interrupts Jesus in the middle of his sermon here, and he just simply speaks out. And this is what Jesus then answers. He said, what, what's, what's bringing this on? What's moving this? It's covetousness. Beware, he says, of covetousness. And it's literally in the context of this guy just blurting out, tell my brother to divide the inheritance to me. And Jesus immediately steps in. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness because one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he has. So covetousness is the fear of not having enough. Amen. It's the fear of how we appear before others because we connect value, we connect worth many times with things. Amen. Your life does not consist in the things that you possess, is what he's saying here. The fear of getting what we think we deserve. Here is this guy. He, he's, he's convinced he deserves the other half of his inheritance or some part of it or whatever. Amen. And that's really what he's crying out about. Amen. And that can be part of covetousness. Got to be careful. It doesn't rule your heart. So God's designed a way that we can deal with this thing called greed or mammon that sometimes can find its way in our hearts. And so to break the spirit of greed, the holding, the control, you have to do it deliberately. And you have to deliberately give your money away. The only way you can deal with covetousness, stingy, all that stuff is by giving. That you, you know, you can pray over it, you can believe God for a miracle, 
But I'm telling you, it doesn't take, transpire until you take it from you and you get rid of it. That's when this thing is called broken. Amen. Matthew 6, 20 and 21. Twenty and twenty one. Matthew six, twenty and twenty one. In other words, so there he is. And it's it's sometimes when you get into the hard issues it becomes real flighty, you know. Well, the Lord knows my heart and where my heart's at, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, Lay up treasures in heaven. In other words, you're going to have to deliberately do something, amen, to break the Spirit's hold in your heart. Because when you do this, it, what it's saying is, is where your treasure is, your heart will be also. There's no way to deal with covetousness and mammon, which always tries to invade all of our hearts. It's not like something, you know, it's like I dealt with this years ago. I deal with this all the time. You know what I mean? You know, it's like I said, I think maybe last week, you know, if you get a chunk of money, it's like, you get your calculator out, 10% of what? <laughs> I'm going to put a check for what in the bank? And you're like, what is that? What is that? I mean, you've been doing this for years. It's just automatic, right? It's just automatic. You get, you know, you get, and you just do it 10% and you write your tie check. But all of a sudden, just something comes in larger, whatever it might be. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait a minute here. <laughs> and it's like, well, what is that? Well, again, it does, nobody's immune to it. Every, everybody has to make that decision. He has to make that decision. Finances get tight, and you're like, oh, why did I pledge? <laughs> then that morning I say, make sure you get your pledges in. You're like, yeah, right. You don't know the state of my finances. We just had the car break down and my kid just broke her arm and, or his arm or whatever. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> don't cry for me. Da, 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 da. No. <laughs> it's like, but you made a pledge. <laughs> you made a pledge. Amen. If you want to break this thing, you got to give. Amen. Lay up. That definition of that word lay up is actually a mass or make a deposit beyond yourself. Amen. In other words, what the Bible is saying is it will help your heart. Amen. I will allow God to be in control. Amen. I, want, I need to break the spirit that's trying to control my heart and my decisions. Amen. That trying to control you know, uh, what I do and what I don't do. Luke 12, 21. Amen. See, see, when you lay up treasures for yourself, what that means is, is you're not rich toward God or not rich toward God means I'm in control. I'm in control. It's what we're saying here. Uh allowing God to have control of the sacred portion, amen. Keeping your heart right with God. See, tithing is a regular choice to deal with greed. 
It's a regular choice, amen. Place God in his proper place in our hearts. Deuteronomy 12, 23, this is the message. It says, make an offering of 10%, a tithe, of all the produce which grows in the fields year by year, year after year. Bring this into the presence of God, your God, at the place he designates for worship, and there eat the tithe from your grain, wine, and oil, and the firstborn from your herds and flocks. In this way you will learn to live in deep reverence before God, your God, as long as as you live, amen. And so, you know, you, you, you learn to fear God, to reverence God. How? By, through tithing. There's a spiritual principle, amen. There's just something at work in your heart. You might not give your tithe and go, oh, I just reverence God. Well, you know, you, know, you don't literally connect the dots. But through your actions, as your treasure is, your heart will be also. And one of the ideas, as Scripture brings out, is there's a reverence to God as we give. Something's being done on the inside at a heart level. Amen. Amen. Because there are spirits that are, are there are seeking to control our hearts. Amen. And so we have to constantly make decisions and decisions that say, God controls my life. God controls my heart. Go ahead. Deuteronomy 14.23, message translation is what I read, so it probably looks like nothing in your Bible. <laughs> but uh, there you go. And that was Mr. Eugene Peterson's lifetime work. He'd gone on to be with Jesus. Amen. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got some good thoughts. Any thoughts this morning from you? Any hands? Lisa? Right. Absolutely. Another hand? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because if you're covetousness, covetous, you probably never feel like giving. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, yeah, it's, it's actually something that you force your will. Amen. So, you know what? If I'm going to break this thing, this is what I need to do. Amen. Very true. Very true. Anybody else? Did I see another hand? Sanjina? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of the one in Ecclesiastes. It's better, it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. And I don't know exactly where my, I don't have my Ecclesiastes somewhere. <laughs> Between verses chapter 1 and 11, it's somewhere in there. <laughs> Maybe more towards the middle, 4, 5, 4. Amen. Anybody else? Any hands over here? Got three over there. Come on, catch up. 
How about you guys? <laughs> All right, praise God. Let's look secondly at the spirit. Oh, another hand. Five, four, and five? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's close. All right. Let's look secondly at the spirit of rebellion. Woo! One scripture. Well, let's get all the rest of them. How's that? Genesis 14, 20. Nick? Nehemiah 13, 4 and 5. Lisa? Joshua 7, 5. Ken? Uh, Linda, get me Matthew 25, 22 and 23. And one more, Nehemiah 13, 8 through 12, Santina. All right. So let's look at the spirit of rebellion. Whenever you read some of the things from the folks that write books on not tithing and all these things, their, a lot of their quotes or a lot of things they talk about really is kind of written and spoken of in a kind of a spirit of rebellion. Let me read this. This guy's talking about himself. He says, I will admit, I'm not the encourager or exalter in the group. I like to dissect things with my mind and find solutions to fix the, fix the problems. If I see a problem, I will speak up. I won't if everything is going right according to himself, I just expected to. I'm very opinionated, and debate really fuels my fire. I love them. Am I contentious? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> One guy said, Christian leaders don't want you to know the truth. They're like Lenin in Russia. Lenin in Russia. I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if I'm preaching, if I don't preach against tithing, I'm like Lenin in Russia. Read about Lenin in Russia. <laughs> My goodness, how crazy is that? It says, if a pastor is preaching on tithing, he's being manipulative. <laughs> because I don't agree with what you say. If a pastor tells you that 10% of your gross income belongs to God, do not listen to him. If he's preaching one, if he's preaching one of the worst lies in church history, one of the worst lies in church history, don't sit there in rebellion, refusing to listen. Find another church. <laughs> and so this is how they, they kind of, you know, write in their books and on their blogs and so on and so forth. But, you know, when I see people struggling with tithing, usually I see people that struggle with living for God. They're not doing very well spiritually, amen, or dealing with hard issues, amen, uh, just acting odd or acting unhealthy, amen, not doing well. And when I see this, one of the things I look at is tithing. Not always the indicator. I'm just simply saying one of them is right here, amen. You know, uh, you, you see some people, you know, they want, they want to control. You know, it's like, well, if I'm going to give my money, I'm going to tell you where it's going to go. And it's like, well, then don't give it then. Because that's not how it works, amen. That's just your rebellious nature. Or, you know, people that, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, they, 
they withhold their tithe. There can be some people, you know, they're upset with the pastor or whatever, so it's like, well, I'm not tithing. It's like, well, that's just that rebellious nature, amen. See, God has designed tithing to be connected to spiritual authority. Genesis 14, 20. Okay, so here is Abraham, the father of our faith. He tithes to God, but he gives it through a human representative. When you find this, this is the first mention of tithe, amen. Even in the Old Testament law, the tithe was given through one of God's human representatives, amen. And so there was something of, a, of authority, amen, that was there in this. It wasn't like you decided this or you decided that you didn't. No, you gave it and someone else decided it. And so this is something that God put into play, amen, just like Abraham. He didn't say, you know, here's the tenth of all, and what are you doing with that? <laughs> What's your name again? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the, the argument is we're New Testament priests and so on and so forth. And, you know, uh, but, but the tithe wasn't given to every priest. You know what I'm saying? It was given to probably one representative. There was only certain people that handled the tithe. It wasn't like all the priests jumped in the, in the goodie bag and stuff. That's not, what they're, they're, you know, that's not what happened in the Old Testament. It was, it was given to certain people that were in authority. Amen. And so this even bleeds down into a, a, a church congregation. You know, you have certain people that count the money, certain people that keep accountability of the money other than the pastor. You have, you have uh, you know, financial sheets that are made out every month. You'd be shocked. There's, it doesn't happen. When I was in England, I had, an, I had a, every month, I had, every year, churches have to, other than the Church of England, have to turn in reports on what you're doing with the money. In England, so it's, the government gets involved. You know, I don't know what the we might have separation of church and state. I don't know what they got over there. <laughs> the church is the state or something. I don't know, but uh, they 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 see your books every year, and so I have to take it to an auditor every year. They look at the books in England, and so and the guy made a statement. He said there is no church over here that fills out financial reports every month. He says, I've never seen this. He says, you guys fill out financial reports and send them off to places every month. He said, that was just amazing to him that most churches don't do, even do that. Amen. But we have an accountability set up that just simply says, you know, my pastor wants to see every month. And his pastor wants to see every month. <laughs> so it's like everybody's got their eyes, you know what I mean, looking in, so. Not that you can't manipulate and steal and all those kind of things. You've got to be pretty slick to do that. But, and some are. That's true. But the point is, is that people are watching the finances. Amen. And so, you know, there is an accountability. Amen. But it's clear that tithing helps us deal with the natural rebellious tendencies of our hearts. Amen. That was a quick one. Any thoughts? <laughs> you want to hit on the rebels too much? Make them mad. All right. Let's look at the spirit of dominion, because that's where we're going with this. 
We need to have dominion in this realm called money, amen. And it's connected with issues of finances, amen. This is the issue of dominion. Dominion simply means the right to rule, amen. So the enemy seeks to control our resources. It's really what we're talking about. He, he dictates where the finances go. You know, he wants the finances to go to everything else, you know what I'm saying, uh, to the world things and all that kind of stuff. No money coming to the work of God. No money coming to the gospel being preached into the earth or people's lives being touched and changed and people make their heaven their home. It's like, uh-uh. If he can cut off the supply line, that's what he's trying to do. But we are the head and not the tail. We are to have dominion over our finances. Nehemiah 13, 4 and 5. So isn't it interesting that the, he was the enemy and he wants to, he wants to live or he wants, yeah, he, he wants to live where the money was. <laughs> That's one of the first things that Nehemiah did. He booted him out. He said, no, he's, he's got to go. Amen. He wanted dominion. Amen. When God's people are disobedient to money, there's a loss of spiritual dominion. And the greatest example is what? It's Achan. Here's the people of God. They have dominion. They just overtook Jericho, a walled city. We're talking like impossible without God's help, obviously. But the point is, is that they had dominion. And God is part of that dominion. Achan just takes a little bit of money. <laughs> this huge city, you know what I'm saying? He didn't take a bank vault. He just took a wedge of silver and a Babylonian garment. Just little hides it under his tent and all of a sudden everything is reversed amen he touched the tithe he touched the city God said this city is mine you destroy it you touch nothing it's all belongs to me you don't take anything from it the next cities they took spoil right they took booty or whatever you want to call it, spoil and so, but this city, no. This city belongs to me. Touch nothing. And so Achan obviously did not do that. Joshua 7, verse 5. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shittim, and struck them down on that descent. Therefore their heart of the people melted and became like water. Okay, so here the enemy rules, amen. And God's people are not only hurt corporately, but they're hurt personally. Struck down 36 men. You're thinking, wow, this is pretty big. All because Achan touched the tithe. He touched the money, amen. And now they're coming against this puny little city called Ai. They didn't even send that many people against it. They just said, you know what? If we can take Jericho with our nation and all that, then Ai is nothing. But they didn't take it because they lost dominion. They lost dominion connected with Achan uh, and his 
disobedience in the realm of money. He said, I lusted, I desired it, I coveted it. Spirit of covetousness. And so he's going to get his, amen. Matthew 25, 22 and 23. So it's interesting that he, talents are not talents like I can dance and sing, okay? Talents is actually money. It's like, it's like dollars and cents is really what it is. It's, it's a denomination of money. So he gave them some money, talents of gold or talents of silver, whatever it might have been. And uh, he said, do business till I come. And they were faithful with that money. They were faithful to do with it what they were supposed to do with it. And so all of a sudden we go from money to rulers of cities. How does that work? In other words, you were faithful with the money that I gave you. I'm going to now make you a ruler over cities. In other words, because they were faithful in money, they now had dominion. They're ruling over. Ruler, dominion, basically the same word actually. But they're ruling over the city. So because they were faithful in their money, they ended up having dominion in their own personal lives. That's what happens to you and I. When you are faithful with your money, and the tenth is the Lord's and offerings besides, then the result of that is you personally have dominion in your life. You say, well, you know, do I really need dominion? Yeah. Do you pray? You want your prayers to leave your living room? You need dominion. You want your prayers to leave the realm of your face? You need dominion. Amen. Prayer is a hard issue. And you need dominion in your prayers. Amen. You rule in actions. Amen. In other words, not only do you rule in prayer because, amen, your prayers leave the room. They, they make it to heaven, if you will. There's a dominion in your prayer life. That when you pray, things happen, but also what you do happens as well. Things work, amen. There's blessing in your life. It's tangible blessing. Just like these guys being faithful with someone else's money, which is exactly what money is. It's not ours. It belongs to God. Everything does. These guys are faithful with someone else's money, and now all of a sudden they have a tangible blessing. They're rulers over the city. So this is what you're looking at, amen. You're looking at dominion in your own personal life, amen. So if you think about it, money is more than paying the bills. It's a battleground. If you can win in this realm of money, I tell you what, things will turn in your financial picture. Things will turn in your material picture, amen. And things will change in your own spiritual picture as well. There will be a dominion, amen, in your life. This is what you need. We need dominion. Amen. This is so important on a personal level, on a corporate level, that we have dominion in our lives. We're not being, you know, by the enemy, slapped around. You know what I'm saying? We have dominion. It's not just grabbing us like a rag down and throwing us all over the place. It's like, come on, man. Why is, why is my life being slapped around? 
Do you tithe? Why am I in and out and up and down? Do you tithe? That's what we're talking about. You have, it's like you have no dominion in your life. Now, I understand other things can rob dominion. Sin can rob dominion. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, if you're shacked up with your girlfriend and you don't tithe, it's like, boo, all right? And look, come on in church and start tithing. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's not like, well, if you start tithing, then, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> All right? Some things got to change. You know what I mean? You're, you're just smoking pot and wanting dominion. It's like, you'll never have dominion. <laughs> you need to be delivered. Okay? But we're talking about here you are. You're, you're wanting to live for God. Okay? All that stuff is behind you, and you're, you're coming to church, and, you know, you're not smoking pot, hopefully. And um, you'd be shocked. <laughs> but anyway, and it's like, well, praise God, you know what I mean? And it's like, but, but I don't have dominion. Do you tithe? That's what I'm talking about, amen. Because, see, the devil wants to rule over you on a personal level. Right? That's, he wants to have dominion in your life. Amen. He wants to rule over us on a corporate level. Amen. Any thoughts before we read our last scripture? Desiree and then Lisa. Um. Yeah. Does that affect like our dominion, like when we go on outreach, when we're doing our personal witness? Like even if I'm tithing and like other people in the church aren't, does yeah. that affect Well I, I think it does. I think there is an effect on a church, amen. Uh, just like Aiken affected the nation, you know what I'm saying? And so there is an effect, yeah. I think it's important. That's why, you know, you, you preach what you preach. Just like holiness is important. You know, if you got sin rampant in your church and stuff like that, if you don't deal with it, 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 a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And it's true with that. This is why you find sometimes that uh, it, it addresses covetous people. It, it, addresses, you know, it addresses sexual immorality, you know, you shouldn't have that and all that, but also talks about covetous people. And I've always, like, scratched my head, like, so what am I, like, kicking covetous people out of the church? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, you, you're covetous. Get out. You know, it's like, wait a minute, it's kind of a scary thought. But obviously, because it affects the whole, it does affect the church to a whole. You're right. Yeah. How much it does, I don't know, you know. I mean, I, it does hamper it. It does affect it, yeah. That's why you want people to tithe. Lisa? Well, it was a sacred portion. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, touching the, touching what does not belong to you. Was there another hand back here, Heidi? Yeah, I think you mentioned that I was like, this is what Christians should do. Like, this is 
What company is this? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, very good. Did everybody hear that? Everybody hear that over here? Yeah? No? Thumbs up? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Are we wandering, Lord? Okay. Guess I have to pray more on that one. Yeah, I, I like like my wife was saying, I, I kind of I didn't learn it. I just I didn't learn anything before I got saved, unfortunately. Because after I got saved, I go back to things I go, oh yeah. And uh, I used to work in a restaurant with a uh, with two different, it was a family-owned restaurant. You had a daughter and her husband. You had a son and his wife. And so the daughter and her husband were running the restaurant. They were very tight. Everything was just so tight, squeaky tight, and business was kind of tight. Well, Frank died. <laughs> the husband he had an aneurysm on a golf course. And so the wife obviously didn't want to run the restaurant. Mom is still there. She's kind of like the matriarch, you know. And... Um, and so the son and the daughter and the and the daughter-in-law, the son, he was an idiot. He just was. He was just real childish in his brain. He couldn't, yeah, he he couldn't run anything. But his wife basically ran the restaurant. He just kind of stocked the shelves and stuff. Kind of funny. And uh, it was just a weird situation. But she she turned that whole thing around. And one of the things that she did, like on 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 at, on the times when people, we had a skating rink across the street a huge skating rink where semi semi pro teams sometimes and different people would come in and, and skate. And so she, when they came over one night, she just started giving out some free food, chicken wings actually, free food, maybe some sandwiches, just like that, just kind of, not a lot, just some free, here, you guys, you know, we, we appreciate you guys coming out and she would just set down a platter of food for nothing, you know. And I'm telling you, within about two months, that place would be packed in the evening. 
I mean, the, I mean, it was just packed everywhere. The restaurant was all packed. I mean, people couldn't even come in and get a meal. They just, people were everywhere spending money, you know, drinking like maniacs, you know, because they're young hockey players, you know. And so, but she tapped into that and just, I mean, brought the revenue of the business, like skyrocketed. And it all became, it all started with her generosity. She just started, she said, you got to give. And so she gave him, a, you know, never gave me a raise, but that's okay. No. <laughs> She gave them free food. <laughs> but anyways, let's read one more scripture, Nehemiah 13, 8 through 12. What is interesting, kind of like even what Desiree is saying with that question, is here's Nehemiah, and he's coming back, right, to um, help them defeat the enemy. And one of the first orders of business was the tithe. He started with the tithe. We're going to defeat the enemy he comes behind the scenes and says, we need to get some things right. And the first thing he deals with, amen, is the tithe. Because the tithe affects things spiritually. When they did that, it was from there, amen, that things started to turn around. The rebuilding of the wall and so on and so forth was when, you know, when, when Nehemiah wanted to have dominion. Well, they built the wall already, but when Nehemiah wanted to establish that dominion, this is where he started, was with the tithe. Got rid of Tobias, as he said, as he said earlier, kicked him out, cleaned out house, said, this is what we need to do, bring the offering and the tithe back in. And when they did that, they had a spiritual dominion in their lives and in their city and as a whole. Amen. So that affected the whole. Hallelujah. Any thoughts this morning? It's an area that you have to get dominion in. Emma. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, a lot of times we do in the church, we raise our kids to, to tithe and to give and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's, I've always kind of seen it this way. It's like, you know, if, if the person is tithing and, you know, okay, maybe they're making some not too good spiritual decisions, but there's something about their tithing that always seems to keep it's like always keeps them in arm's reach of God. It's almost like Cornelius, right? He's not right with God. He's not saved. But what's the thing that connects him with God? Is his, well, one of the things was his giving. His alms, his giving, amen. Your giving has come up before God. And even though he's a heathen, even though he's a Gentile, doesn't know God, doesn't know Jesus, it was through that that was the link to this man's heart him getting saved and his whole family. And so, yeah, I think it's important to teach your children to tithe and say, you know what, this is how we live. It's important to instill that into them. Amen. So, you know, even though they might go, well, you know, I don't want to live for God. Your church sucks. It's like, okay. But there's just something of a connection that is there, amen, that seems to keep them an arm's length of God when that time comes when they want to when God can get a hold of them. I'm not saying it buys favor with God, but I'll just simply say, when God makes the statement himself, your alms has come up before me. Amen. Amen. Your giving has come up before me. So I didn't say that. God said that. Amen. And Peter, because of that, he can get a hold of Peter. And, of course, Peter going to this man's house and um, the whole household gets saved. The first Gentiles and revival into the Gentiles, beginning with that man's house. That's powerful. Amen. Okay. Lord bless you. Let's get ready for church.